Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's episode, we're joined by Tim Whitaker. This is a little something different. Tim has been a teacher and a journalist and is the executive director of Mighty Writers. That group is a Philadelphia-based nonprofit that teaches 3,500 kids per year to think clearly and write with clarity. It works out of Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. Some of Tim's journalism career highlights include 14 years as editor of Philadelphia Weekly Magazine and the stint as head writer at NBC Radio. He also produced an audio documentary about the history of soul music in Philadelphia, and he co-wrote a biography of former baseball star Dick Allen. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about both your time as a journalist and a lot about Mighty Writers, but I want to start on the journalism front. What's your writing and journalism origin story? Well, you know, I was sort of a bumpy student, to put it mildly. I had a, in high school, I sort of bumped along and managed to stay, stay in high school, but it was, it was not an upbeat experience. And it was all because I think that I just couldn't find what it was I was interested in. So I got through high school and then, you know, went to college. I was sent to like this little college in Alabama, which was filled with what were then called juvenile delinquents and a lot of rednecks. I mean, it was really a bizarre experience, but I learned a lot being in Alabama, more, more than I learned being in other places. And, and, but I finally started getting my act together, transferred to Villanova and then stayed there. But it really wasn't until a couple of years after college where I said, I got to give writing a shot. Couldn't get a job. The first job I got was selling advertising. Wasn't very good at that. But I got to know the editor, began to pitch him some stories. And, you know, pretty soon I was off and running, not making a lot of money, but I was off and running at least. (laughs) <laughs> was there anything in your upbringing, and I know you come from a large family, that lent itself to telling stories? You know, I'm not sure. I think my mother was a really good writer and liked to tell stories. You know, I think I was sort of, I was sort of fascinated in Bethlehem growing up at a young age of, of how the city was like sort of split into two, like the north side and the south side. And I was always exploring all that. Um, at a uh, you know when I was in high school and all that, wanting to write about it, thinking like you know these these there's such a great story here. So, and there was a an editor. I'm getting off track here a little bit, but there was an editor at a newspaper, the Bethlehem Globe Times, is going back. His name was John Strohmeyer, and he won a Pulitzer Prize by writing about the Bethlehem going up against Bethlehem Steel and a lot of their practices, which you know took major balls to do that in Bethlehem <laughs> and. So, you know, I went and visited him a couple of times just to get advice and, and hear from him. So, you know, it was just, I'm not, I don't know if this is very linear, but that's really, really what the early beginnings of, of the, my writing career. We could probably spend a considerable amount of time on all the different jobs that you've had, yeah, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to limit it a little bit. Could we take your most memorable jobs and list the biggest thing that you took away from each one? And I'm talking about, I guess, Philadelphia Weekly and NBC Radio and writing the book and producing the audio documentary. Yeah. Well, you know, being with Dick Allen was the experience of my life. He was a a very mercurial 
very smart and very opinionated and and very warm. Just a, a very unusual mix. You know, I'd been around baseball players a fair amount doing, you know, quick stories and clubhouses and stuff like that. But I never, I never ran into a guy like this. He was just totally out of the box completely. And so, you know, that, that, that was about a year and a half of sort of running around the country with him and spending time in his hometown. And, and he, he was living in, in LA at the time. So I went out there and spent time with him. So that was, that was like a an experience that, you know, sort of will, you know, last the rest of my life. All the, the other jobs, the soul music, I was a big soul music fan. So it was great to do that. I really liked that. That Philadelphia was a big soul music town. So going back into that world was really exciting. And then the Philadelphia Weekly was, was a, a great job. Everybody was, you know, at its height. And most of the time I was there, it was doing really well. You know, it was like 150 pages, 200 pages. The staff was half my age. They were like ambitious, enthusiastic, and, and we were doing great stories and making money. So that was, you know, it was, you know, pretty, pretty high times. But when that began to come to an end, it was interesting because the, the dailies had started, started fading before us. And we thought, okay, we're free. We're, we have a young audience because we're an alternative newspaper. So we're younger than the dailies. Our readership was younger. I thought maybe, you know, maybe this won't affect us. Maybe we'll be able to, maybe we're bulletproof here. So we went on our merry way. Uh, and then Craigslist came along and Craigslist just sort of knocked out a big percentage of our advertising, one big swoop. And then, and then it just, you know, then it was sort of downhill. And like, I went from, from having meetings with the publisher where you know, I was talking about who I was going to hire, what town I was going to hire, to, to meetings with the publisher where he's talking about who I have to lay off, you know. So I, I just thought, no, nah, no, nah, I can't do this. This is not, this is, I can't do this. So that's when I started thinking about Mighty Writers as an alternative lifestyle or position. <laughs> I, I want to I get to that in one sec, but I do want to yeah. ask you about your writing. And I was reading the, some of your columns are online. I read one from July 2010 that I felt was very like predictive for 2023 called How Many Clicks Will This Post Get? In which you <laughs> even went after your own employer for quick clickbait. <laughs> so two yeah. questions off that. Like how would you I I in reading your pieces, I thought that there was like a touch of Mike Royko to them a little bit. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I was just curious if you could describe your writing style and yeah, I think that would be the question. Well, you, I don't know if I could describe it very well. It's I sort of I, I like to get to things pretty quickly, so I don't do a lot of dancing up front. And and you know, I have, I have a lot of strong feelings about a lot of issues. So it's you know, it's it's kind of made writing is sort of made for my personality because I can I can write it and then you know sort of move on. Um, so, you know, I like, I like writing 800,000 words. I can write longer. I've, I've written much longer, but that, that's my sweet spot. How do you feel about the state of journalism in 2023? You know, it's pretty bumpy to say, the, to put it mildly. You know, I'm interested in all these, uh, all the, the sort of newsletter kind of startups like Politico and Axios and, and uh, was it Punk, I think, is one of them. You know, I'm sort of, I sort of see those 
those startups, some of them aren't startups anymore. That's sort sort of something that might stick, might might become like something that will have a, a lifespan. In terms of the dailies, it's just hard to see. It's it's hard to see daylight. You know, I think the you know New York Times, of course, is stays strong, and the Washington Post, I guess. But when you get to like, you know, the big metro papers in big cities like the Inquirer in Philadelphia, or those papers you see that they've slipped, you know, that the, the copy editing is bumpy, the the uh, the, the sections are, are smaller. There's still good talent. There's still a lot of good journalists, but not as many. And, and space is at a premium. There's not the time to do those big takeouts that the, the, the Inquirer, for example, was known for, Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, sprawling stories. You don't see much of that. How did being a journalist change how you view the world? You know, I think it's, uh, I think it, it helped me view the world more positively, actually, because, you know, I like journalists. I like the way they think. Being around them was, I mean, they can be cynical and they often are cynical and, and, and sort of negative speaking. But in reality, they're actually positive. You know, they're, they're, they're in a business, an industry that you have to really, it, it, it's a tussle, you know, so, you know, they have, a, they believe in stuff. And, and so I like being around them. I like the business of it. It's just a hard business right now, harder than it should be. You mentioned change, having the thoughts to change to Mighty Writers. I read also that you said that Mighty Writers happened because you wanted to reinvent yourself. So what's the Mighty Writers origin story? Well, you know, when I, when I got out of college, I taught school in North Philadelphia, a, a pretty challenged community in North Philadelphia for a couple of years. And I was terrible. I mean, I was really like, had no control of the classroom. They were like running wild all over me. But, um, but I liked it. You know, I liked it. I, I saw the, the spirit of the kids. I liked, I, you know, being from a big family. I'm the oldest of seven. So I always had a lot of younger kids around me. And, and I like kids. And so I thought, well, you know, if I could, if I could combine writing with kids, you know, that, that might be the sweet spot for me. So, so that's what I did. I started like figuring out how to do that and, you know, got a couple of names of nonprofit potential names and started showing them to everybody and started figuring out how to raise money. All that stuff is, you know, had its big ups and downs for a, for a year there. And it, did eight twenty six Valencia also play a big role? I went out to see eight twenty six and Eggers and spent some time there. Definitely was a big part of of constructing what we did. It was it's different, you know, in a lot of ways, but it's the same in a lot of ways. You know, I think there are more. I don't want to sound negative here. I want to sound positive because I believe it. But they're they're more like in communities that have kids kids that are in better economic places than, than the kids at Mighty Writers for the most part. I mean, we really go into like, you know, the toughest neighborhoods in this, and that's what we're good at. We know how to do that. You know, we know how to, how to motivate kid, these kids. And, and, you know, that's, that to me, that's, that's the sweet spot. How do you describe Mighty Writers to someone who's not familiar with what it is? You know, we have this mantra we say over and over again, like I must, I must have said it like 100,000 times by now, which is 
to, you know, get kids to think clearly and write with clarity. And if that's what we try to succeed at, we know these kids, most of them are not gonna become writers. I wouldn't even try to get them to be writers. You know, there's so many other possibilities for, for them to, to do well as, a, as opposed to like jumping into journalism. We, I'm sure we're gonna get some, but, but if they can think clearly, if, if they learn to like, before you write, to stop, think of what you wanna say, get, get a real like uh, a sense of where you're going, even an email or, or applying for a job or, you know, basic stuff. I mean, you must see this all the time. I see it all the time. It was like, you know, grownups that send me emails and I have to read them three times to like get to what it's really trying to say. And, you know, if you can, if you can write with clarity, you're going to have a step up. I mean, we do a lot of other things to get there, but that's, that's the underlying message. There were six programs I saw listed on your website, Mighty Toddlers, After School, Writing Workshops, Mindfulness, Writing Mentors, College and Career Programs. There are other things, Illustrator yeah. Programs, Karate, Writing a Movie, all sorts of really cool stuff. Yeah. What are some of the ways in which you actually, in which the people that are working with the kids actually teach the kids to write? Well, there's, each of our, our centers has an after-school program. We call it the Academy and that's the heart of our program. That runs from three to six o'clock. So over the course of a year, including summers, the kids learn every genre of writing and what it means and how to do it. And, and they take a shot at it. And, and so that's, that's like the heart of it. And around all that, we have all these other things that sometimes they're on weekends, sometimes they're at night, and sometimes, you know, sometimes they're built into the academy on occasion. But that the, the after school program is really what we're really good at. We know how to like get the kids in, get their homework done, get them fed, and then have writing time, you know. I saw you were referring to it at one point as the anti-school school. Yeah, it feels like that to me because it feels more like a clubhouse. So, you know, the art on the walls is all combination of like, Spider-Man and Maya Angelou, you know, so it's like superheroes of all types. And, you know, the, the kids tell us if they don't like a piece of art for some reason, you know, we take it down and find something they do like. So they really feel ownership of the spaces, which is a big help, you know. What do you get the kids to write about? You know, just about everything, really. You know, we take them on trips, field trips, and they write about that. You know, COVID changed a lot of that for... Um, uh, in terms of writing, we now find that the kids have a whole lot to say about themselves, about their families, about the experience of COVID, what they learned from it, all of that. There's a lot of like getting that out of their system right now. So that's good. You know, that makes, it feels like it's, it's, it's like medicine, you know. What was it like before? Before, I think it was more, more, more tied to the work they had to do in school, right? So a lot of it was you know, we're doing this project at school. I need some help getting through it with the writing part of it, that kind of thing. But, you know, COVID changed all that. It's starting to come back now. I was talking to the staff recently about, you know, it's time that we start to like lock in to, to writing. And, you know, we did a lot of mindfulness during COVID. Um, you know, we started distributing food to the communities. We still do that. So it became like a sort of mixed bag of stuff and it really worked to our advantage through that period in terms of fundraising in terms of the communities embracing us 
just all the way around, it was really good. But now we want to get back to like, you know, you're going to be a good writer. You might not make a living at it, but you're going to be proud of it and, you know, march forward. What do you do in your role currently? That's a really good question. Some, some days it feels like I'm an air traffic controller because it's, it's, we have all these locations and I can't get to all of them in, in one day. I can't, I can't even get to them all one week. So there's a lot of check-ins, you know, there's a lot of, you know, here comes North Philly, here comes Newark, New Jersey, and, you know, that kind of thing. Gotcha. What's the hardest part about what your group does? I think the hardest part, that's a good question. The hardest part is probably keeping, keeping spirits high with the staff, you know, cause it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough work. You know, the, the, we're in communities that are tough. The work is, the environment can, can be challenging. So I think that's probably, you know, it's something we focus on a lot. Well, where do you get your writing instructors from? It's a, it's a mixed bag of, of, writers, people that are former journalists and, and types like that, and teachers that have taught writing and they sort of burn out of the school district. And that's a lot of them now. So, or, you know, and we try to get people that wherever we can, that are from the community we're serving, you know, so we have two very large Mexican centers. So it's, it's Mexican run completely, you know. So we don't, we don't try to like put people in the cultures they're not familiar with. And given all that, that you have taught to the students, I'm curious about reciprocation. What have the kids taught you? You know, I think they've, they've, they've taught me resilience and, and, and humor. I mean, these kids, you know, well, all of them really, but the kids in Philadelphia, they just have this really like edge when it comes to comedy, they're very, they're, they're very quick. You know, a lot of it is because they live in neighborhoods where they see a lot of crazy stuff on the playground, you know, in their, in their schools and everything becomes like a, like shtick for them, you know, so they can mimic people really well and they're just fun to be around. You mentioned the food delivery. There is this added component that your group took up during the pandemic that I did want to bring up. You do food, book, diaper, and period product distribution. How extensive is that? It's huge. It's, it's pretty much half of what we do. We went into it when, when COVID came, we shut down all our centers like everybody. And then we realized at the Mexican, one of the Mexican centers in the city were in big trouble right away because most of the parents worked in the kitchens of restaurants and restaurants all closed. Uh, uh, nobody was documented, so there was no government help. So we began giving out uh, lunches at our front doors to the kids. They walk by and give lunches for their parents and all. And we quickly saw that was like that was like nowhere near enough. So we began forming alliances with Phil Abundance is a big one in Philadelphia, and said like you know we could we have all these centers like all over the city. We can distribute to all these communities if you can help us get the food. And they did. And then we went to foundations. And I didn't think this was going to work. I was like pretty cynical about this. But, you know, because in, in nonprofits, there's a lot of talk about mission creep and getting away from your core mission and all that. And we, we were jumping out of our core mission in a big way. 
And so I went to the foundations and said, this is what we, this is what we want to do. We need vans, you know, we need, can you help us? And they did, you know, and they, they did it quickly. They, they did away with the usual, you know, tons of paperwork and months of like study and all that stuff. And they just said, here you go. So we were able to get, we, I think we have five vans now that are moving all around the city and, you know, the lines are long, they're getting longer. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's become a very big part of what we do. And I imagine that that was never a thought when you were first starting something like this, right? Never, never, never for a second. Wow. Did I think that? Yeah. What have you heard from people who finish the program and go out into the world? You know, it's, it's interesting. I just had lunch with, with a young woman who is, I think she's maybe 23, 24. And, you know, I knew her pretty well. She wants to be a writer. I couldn't believe it. She said that she wants to write novels. I was like, oh man, you picked a tough, tough way to go. <laughs> but, but, but she's deadly serious about it. You know, she called me up and asked if I would help mentor her. And she, she told me what her outline looks like. She didn't send it to me yet. This happened this week. We'll see. Um, uh, so, you know, that was, that was really exciting and unusual. I think, you know, most of the kids that we work with, they don't, they come from backgrounds where they want to launch something or start something like an apparel line. They're very entrepreneurial. So, you know, t-shirts or sneakers or, you know, something like that is more common than wanting to write a novel. So, so, you know, we see the gamut of it. Sure. But uh, I would imagine that the writing skills that they learn come in handy when they're trying to write business proposals yeah. and plans yeah. and things of that sort. And I was going through your annual report just came in the mail oh, good. Uh, and it referenced, it referenced, I suppose what I would say is a very a strong feeling of positivity among the people that are in the program and their willingness to continue within the program. Yes, I think that's probably true. I mean, I think we're, you know, we make everything fun and, and, you know, we're very fair and kind and, and, you know, we're close to the families. So we know, we don't just know the kids, but we know who's and uh, so I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of confidence in what we're doing and how we do it. You have a fairly large staff. Was there anyone that you wanted to shout out? There's a number of them. We have we have a, a woman, Rachel Loper, has been with us since the very beginning, and 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 she's a very buttoned down on top of the curriculum and on top of all the centers and all of that. As a woman, Liz Spickle, that I worked with. At the Philadelphia Weekly, she's a columnist there. She wrote about mental health for years, and and so she's on the staff. Yeah, I'm gonna get in trouble by not mentioning everybody. Yeah, but... I was gonna say there's like <laughs> there's on your website there's like 40 people. Yeah. Every person, I'm like, whoa, 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 these people yeah. are impressive. Yeah. So it's great. It's it's. Do you have how many volunteers do you have? We have a lot of them. What that number is, I don't know. I know that that we have a lot of mentors, more mentors than, well, mentors are volunteers, but more in a mentor capacity than we have like at the centers. We need, all we need is a few volunteers at the centers, but the mentorships that exploded during COVID because it could be done over Zoom, right? So um, people that were home and bored and wanted to give back, it was a lot easier than getting in their car and, you know, what are the goals for the program for 2023? You know, we keep we keep wanting to to expand. So, you know, Asbury Park is our next spot. And, you know, we've been spending a lot of time there. 
So we're looking at that. You know, we're working our way to New York. That's really what we're trying to do. Um, and we want to be in really good shape because we know when we get to New York, you know, you, you better have your, you better be buttoned down. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, 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 we looked into New York. We looked into Harlem. We looked at a couple of places in Harlem. There's a, there's a school in, in the Bronx, the Earl Monroe Basketball School. You know about it? I do, yeah. 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 I'm really interested in that, of course. Earl Monroe's from Philadelphia. You know, I was, I'm old enough to remember Earl the Pearl. Sure. Not Jesus. So that's, that's funny that you said that because as you were starting to talk about it, that was the school that popped into my head as what, where you might be headed. But that's yeah, cool. Yeah. The, yeah the, the cool thing they do is they um, recruit staff people by sh with shoot arounds. So then they announce a shoot around. And then anybody who wants to be to apply has to come shoot around. Then they talk to them on the bleachers. They do it with kids too. That's how they get kids. I thought that was ingenious. Wow. Uh, <laughs> no, that's great. How can how can someone get involved with your program? You know, probably the the um, uh, through the website is the easiest way. I mean, there's there's ways to volunteer. There's ways to donate. There's ways to reach me. You know, everybody's accessible. So that's probably the easiest way. Gotcha. What advice, as we as we wrap up here, what advice would you have for someone who wants to reinvent themselves? That's a, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I. Well, have when you were go, when you were going through it, what were some of the things that you were going through? Fear. <laughs> That's one of them. You know, you have to you have to have like a blueprint that you're very clear about, and you don't want to deviate from it too much. You have to do a little bit, I guess, but. You know, I think it's like the same thing we, we teach the kids is clarity, you know, have clarity about what you're trying to do. And we were pretty clear that we wanted to teach kids in tough communities how to write. And that's really what we stuck with, you know. So I think I, the bigger, the harder question is, what do I tell kids that want to be writers? And <laughs> I tell them the story about Ashley Parker. Ashley Parker, who writes for the Washington Post now, she's on TV a lot and the New York Times before that. But when I was at the Philadelphia Weekly, Ashley Parker was a senior in college and she, she came in to see me and she said, I want to write a cover story. And I said, Ashley, you know, people that write cover stories have been writing for years. People out in that newsroom out there are like, you know, eight and 10 years older than you. And how about you start with something like small? No, 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 no. You know, I don't want to be paid for it. Just give me a shot. Give me a shot. I said, no, I can't do that. I can't do it. Came back the next day. Same thing, right? So this woman was on fire. I mean, she was so sure that she wanted to be a journalist. There was like no stopping her. So I gave her the assignment. She said, when's my deadline? I said, well, typically like three weeks or a month. She said, I'll do it in two, two weeks. <laughs> sure enough, she did it in two weeks. It was about a scandal about medallions and taxi cabs and some, I can't quite remember all the details, but that was it. And it was good. It was good. And we published it. And, you know, from there, she went and was just a assistant to Maureen Dowd for a while. Then, then she was at the Times and then she covered Trump. Now she's the Washington Post. So, you know, it, it's a good story to tell people because that's, I think if you want to get into journalism, you don't have to be quite that extreme. We have to be pretty focused because it's hard. It's very hard. Right you now. have to. You basically have to be aggressive, and you have to come through when you get the chance. Exactly. Certainly. Exactly right. 
So we call the show the Journalism Salute. We salute you and your organization for your great work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization or any writing-oriented organization that you would like to salute for their good work? You can pick more than one if you wish. Okay, let me think about that a second here. There's, there's online publication called The Citizen, which is run by this guy, Larry Platt, who's a, a print journalist for a long time. And they do really good work. And I'm trying to think of any others, a couple, a couple of, of, uh, of uh, online things like that. You know, the Inquirer, you know, I, I get frustrated with it sometimes, but there's a, they do a lot of good reporting in there. And, uh, and WHYY Radio does good reporting, I think. Yeah, so... There's, a, there's good stuff. You know, the overall picture can be kind of bleak, but within that, there's all there's a lot of good work being done. There are definitely positives, including your organization. Tim Whitaker of Mighty Writers, Executive Director, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. At Mighty Writers, they teach kids to think clearly and write with clarity. All of their programs are free to the communities they serve in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Washington Heights, New York. For more information on Mighty Writers, go to MightyWriters.org. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.